there is that temptation, isn't there? As we get to our, our talky bit, there is that temptation when you've got in a mess and it's a messy situation to carry on doing the same sort of things that made the mess in the first place and make things worse. I've got a funny little example which we're going to show on the screen in a second from uh, Faulty Towers. And this is a scene where Basil, the, the owner, the proprietor of Faulty Towers Hotel, has been uh, gambling against the wishes of his wife, Sybil. And the horse has won. But rather sneakily, Basil, knowing that uh, his wife, Sybil, would be on the lookout for him to place the bet, he's got Manuel, his, uh, his waiter, to go and place the bet for him. The horse has won, but Sybil is getting suspicious. So this is what Basil does. Let's have a look. Singled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Basil's lies get him deeper and deeper and deeper into trouble. But that's what we do sometimes, isn't it? Let me give you another little example. A friend of mine who, who shall be nameless, um, an, an older lady, she um, came in one day with a scratch on her arm. I said, oh, what happened there? She said, oh, a dog jumped up at me at a, at a fair and uh, scratched my arm. I said, oh, dear, it looks nasty, that. Did the owner, I hope the owner apologized. No, she didn't. Oh, dear. Well, had you said anything to her? Yes, she said. I said, if you had half a brain, you'd keep that dog on a lead. I said, I think I might have spotted why she didn't apologize there. Just, just a little clue. Another incident I can, I can carefully tell you about. Uh, I was driving home from uh, the Oracle in Reading one day. Uh, and this is years ago. I had a little MG sports car. And I wanted to go straight on. But actually, I found myself in a lane that was left turn only. And it was a Friday evening. I wanted to get home. I was tired. And so I, I thought, well, I'm not sure of the way if I turn left. I'll indicate and I'll, I'll move over. But the next car wouldn't let me in. In fact, not only would he not let me in, he was, you know, when you're edging up and you can tell that they're deliberately not letting you in. And I was running out of time to get, my, get across. So I did the wrong thing. It was a messy situation. And folks, I confess, I did the wrong thing entirely. I thought, right, I'll get to the roundabout, the end of this road. I'll put my foot down and then I'll cut across. I am indicating after all, he knows I'm there. What could possibly go wrong? So I zoomed in my lovely little silver MGF and crump into the side of my car went this, uh, this guy. So this wasn't like a little touch. This was a big, this was going to be a big repair job. So I pulled in quickly. There was a little bus lane lay-by. Pulled in, and my opening thought as to what I was going to say was, what, what did you do that for? What on earth did you do that for? Uh, his response was a little less compromising than that. Uh, how can I put this? He, um, he advanced his hand smartly towards my proboscis in a clenched fashion and hit me. <laughs> so um, that was a bit of a shocking thing to happen. Uh, happily for me, I spent some time learning the wonderful Japanese art of jiu-jitsu, and I was able, as I phoned my wife to explain, I was able to dissuade him from continuing his assault. Let's put it that way and got the upper hand. Now, things could have gone even messier, because I kind of, I'm not sure about that response, really. I felt glad at the time I had that skill set available to me, if you like. But I'm not sure it was the right thing to do. And my, my teaching had been parry, pin, punish, so they don't do it again to anybody else. Let's leave it at the pin bit for now. But that was a messy situation that could have got an awful, awful lot worse. And I would have felt really sick about it had it got even worse.
Now, just think about some of the situations you find yourselves in, because we all do sometimes. Somebody says something nasty to us, we want to say something nasty back. It could be a physical thing, but it could be just something just of ourselves, that we've, we've got ourselves into a mess by behaving in a certain way, not involving anyone else. It could be, well, it could be, let's take body shape, we've overeaten, we come to eat to get out of it, it makes a bad situation worse. Or drinking, we drink to forget and it makes things worse. Any number of situations, the email that you really shouldn't have sent. Another one comes back and it's ding dong, ding dong. Does it get better? No, it doesn't, it gets worse. So the gist of our message today is don't pour water on the flood. Do not pour water on a flood. And that brings us to our story about um, King Saul and David that we've seen uh, the children act out rather beautifully with some help from James. Thank you, James. Um, there is Saul on the lookout for David, trying to kill him, and David knows he's trying to kill him. Let's have a look at the, the story. It'll come up on the screen. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is David's men, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, actually, we, nowhere in the Bible can, can we find that from God. So, Bible scholars would say that is what the, the men had interpreted this as. This wasn't a direct quote from any other part of, of the Bible. I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, it must have felt that way, mustn't it? I mean, there they are. They've been on the run from King Saul. And then he walks in unarmed and in a very compromised position, let's say, with his back to them. What a tempting proposition that would have been. For David, here's this guy out to kill him repeatedly. He's thrown spears at him. He's pursued him with his army. And there he is. There he is with his men behind David telling him, this, has been, this is from God. You can imagine the scene. Imagine King Saul's men outside, the 3,000 men outside. King Saul walks into the cave and King David walks out, perhaps even wearing the very robe what, an, what a powerful picture, what a powerful message that would have said to them. Can you imagine the temptation? This guy's been out to kill him. And there he is, presented to him, and his knife in hand. Can you imagine? And David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So we know he's got a very sharp, probably knife in his hand. It's not going to be scissors, unlikely to be a sword. It's going to be a sharp slitting type knife but he just slits a corner of the robe off and afterward David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe that's amazing isn't it he could have killed him and he's feeling bad about just cutting the edge of his robe off because this was the king and David is a man of God and David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Amazing. Would you do that? 
would you let him go? I'm not sure I would, to be honest. It's, it's a real, it's like it's been given to him for this to happen. King Saul walks in, King David walks out, hurrah, new king, but he resists that temptation. He doesn't do the first thing. He does the virtuous thing. Instead of hurt you, he opts for virtue. And then he comes out of the cave and he says to King Saul, look, I could have killed you. Shows him the corner of the robe that he's cut off. Let's just see the next slide. David continues and says, may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me. But my hand will not touch you. My hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Let God be the judge. And he carries on. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? This is humbling himself. This isn't saying, who do you think you're messing with? A dead dog, a flea. No, it's me. It's not that. It's, it's humble. I, I'm, I'm just a, a, a flea compared to the king. He comes out in humility when he could have killed him. And it's a powerful thing he's saying. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. And it was. And it was. But it was done in a virtuous way and not in a way that was filled with violence. Not in a way that would have brought shame in David's heart and before God. Can you imagine the difference between David as a murderer becoming king, knowing in his heart the difference that would have made to him, let alone to the people? What a powerful endorsement of him as king was that merciful act. If we ignore virtue, we just make a, a bad mess even worse. You don't clean up a failure of virtue with more failures of virtue. And when we're dealing with other people, I, that, that bit about the, who are, you, who are you up against? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? That really struck a chord with me as I was preparing for today. Because who are we messing with? Who are we messing with when we interact with other people? Beloved children of the Most High God is the answer. So before you rebuke somebody sharply because they've done something nasty to you, before you strike back or try and get even, who are you dealing with? A beloved child of the Most High God. And God will be the judge. But let us not raise our hands against them. 
And no matter what your stories are, the messes that you've got into, one day they'll be, they'll be reduced to just that, a story. At the end of your life you can tell a story about the time you got into a, an argument with somebody or you fell out with somebody or somebody was having a real go at you at work or there was a family member that you just had a terrible argument with or you got into a fight with somebody. What, what end to that story would you like to write? If you could choose the ending to that story, and you can, what ending will you write? An ending of unforgiveness? An ending of bitterness? Violence? Or an ending of virtue? Where you chose to do the right thing, regardless of what the other person did. Where you chose virtue over hurt you. My little story um, about the road rage thing, that was a really horrendous experience. I found myself in this, I couldn't believe I was in this position in the street grappling with this guy. Um, and I am grateful that I had my jiu-jitsu stuff to lean on, but I'm also grateful that I had my Christian upbringing to lean into as well. Because what actually then happened is I just said, stop struggling, I'll let you up. He stopped struggling, I let him up. We exchanged details in a rather terse manner because I could see he was kind of both still hot, angry, and at the same time a bit bemused by what just happened. But we exchanged details, and um, I went over to him and said, look, I'm sure this has messed your weekend up. It's messed mine up. Why don't we just say no hard feelings? And I put my hand out, and to my surprise, actually, he took my hand and shook my hand. We went our separate ways. The insurance company phoned up that evening, I explained what had happened and put my hand up, took the blame for the accident because it was my fault. I felt an awful lot better having done that than punish. It would haunt me to this day. Today it's just a, an amusing little story. But in the end, I went with virtue and not hurt you. And that really is the message today. Sometimes we bear unforgiveness for ages in our hearts. And I hear this all the time when I'm involved around the church and around the town. You hear stories and you, you see people wrapped up in unforgiveness. And forgiveness sets people free. It can set the person free whom you're in the argument with, for sure. Whether they, they choose to feel released by that or not. You're giving them the opportunity to be, to be freed from that, that situation, that Unforgived, unforgiven situation. But who else does it free? Your forgiveness frees you. Your forgiveness frees you. You don't have to carry around that resentment, that, oh, that feeling inside that we all recognize. Your forgiveness sets somebody free, and it sets you free. Opt for virtue instead of hurt you. And don't let somebody else's bad behavior act as an excuse for you to behave badly and to continue to behave badly. Set yourself free from all of that, this sleeplessness that, you know, it can get on your mind, that kind of a feud with somebody or argument or fight with somebody. Set yourself free by forgiving them. Do the virtuous thing. Opt for virtue and not hurt you. We can follow Jesus and he'll walk us around messes or he'll walk us out of messes that other people might fall in and wallow in. 
the way to avoid a mess, the way out of a mess, the way to make a beautiful thing out of a messy situation is to follow Jesus. So what story do you want to tell? And whom then will you follow?